I love good stories. Uh, I, I, I read a book, the, most, the best book I've read this year so far is, is called Building a Story Brand by Don Miller and Fantastic. And he just talks about how all good stories have seven elements. And so all like business owners and people who run not-for-profits should kind of stick by the same script. So I love, like in, in the book, he talks about the seven elements of a good story. It's so good. I, uh, I love hearing good stories. I love seeing good stories. I feel like in this day and age that we live in, we hear more bad stories than we hear good stories. Uh, I think in journalism, one of the catchphrases that they use is, if it bleeds, it leads. And so we are inundated all the time very strategically with bad news and with bad stories. I love, uh, like, I don't think anybody wants to have an average story. Uh, AT&T Wireless has picked up on this right now. Have you noticed the commercials? They're talking about... Uh, something being okay, like someone goes to get a tattoo and the guy's like, oh, I heard you're the best. And he says, no, I'm just okay. And, uh, and so there's an, in the commercials, I looked him up last night to see how many there are. There's an okay uh, tattoo uh, artist, uh, which I could, I've seen some okay tattoo artists. You can live with that. Uh, I've seen an okay babysitter. That on my scale of things I don't want to be okay would be a little on, like a little away from the tattoo artist. An okay surgeon like, I don't want an okay surgeon. Like, uh, I don't want, like, do you remember in Seinfeld when Kramer spilled the jujube or something into the guy's open body during the surgery? Like, I don't want that guy working on me or that woman working on me if I'm having surgery. Like, there are some things we just don't want uh, to be average and to be okay in life. Like, honestly, if you are going to follow God, if you are going to be a person of faith, you don't want to live an average faith. And I think a lot of people do. Like, I think a lot of us do. And so next week, we're actually going to start a series, a five-week series of messages, messages here called Not Your Average. Uh, it's going to talk about uh, when, you, when you end up having everything and yet find that, like, good enough is not good enough. Because I'll be honest, there are times as a dad where I look and think, okay, right now I'm doing an average job being a parent. And there are times as a husband where I think, okay, right now I'm being an average husband. And, uh, and maybe you can relate to that in those areas or other areas. And I think that God would not have uh, people who are going to believe him live an average life. And so um, if you struggle with that in any way, we're actually going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by what the Bible says is the wisest, smartest, richest... Um, <laughs> A man who had the most relationships with the opposite sex of anyone who ever lived, uh, even more than Will Chamberlain, he says of himself. And so uh, we're going to, and, and it's going to be his take on life and living what would not be described as an average life. I want my life and I want your life and I want our church to not be marked by average. Uh, I want there to be, our lives to be marked by what we'll call God stories. Stories uh, where we would say that could have never happened unless God did it. And I think about a few examples of that. I'll tell you one from my personal life. My dad was an atheist. Uh, he could intellectually argue uh, you away from the faith for all of his life. And then in September, about five years ago, something began to change in his heart. And then on January the 13th, five years ago, he emailed me at 1.30 and said, I got a lot of issues in my life, but I've given my life to Jesus. This happened out of nowhere. And he said, and I think that's the main issue. And then he died of a massive heart attack three hours later and had no idea that was coming. That's a God story. I think my mic may have just gone out. Um, so let me just talk loud. 
Another one is Annie Ebert, who comes to this church. Some of you know Mark and Annie there in Pennsylvania today. And Annie, her dad died really unexpectedly of a massive heart attack a few years ago. And she woke up, she and her husband Mark, on a Sunday morning, and she was just missing her dad. And her dad was a, a person of deep personal faith in Jesus. And they said, hey, let's go to the church that dad went to. She just said, I want to feel a connection with my father this morning. And she goes, and my buddy is the pastor of that church, and he said he was in the middle of preaching, and Annie and Mark never came to church. In the middle of the sermon, Annie got up and just walked out of the message. And he was like, I thought I just offended her because she wasn't a person of faith at all. And what had happened was, even had nothing to do with what the preacher said, nothing to do with the Bible, God just in that seat reached out to Annie and said, I love you and I want to be your savior. And she walked out and said, Jesus, i got a ton of issues, but I, I ask you to come into my heart and change my life. That's her story. i got a buddy in Hyannis, a guy named Josh Adams. He started a church. I want stories like this for our church. Uh, they had outgrown the space where they were meeting, and a guy who ran a feed and seed store in Hyannis was getting close to retirement, could have sold his business off for millions of dollars, and came to Josh and said, I want to sell you my business for dimes on the dollar for what it's worth. I don't want you to run the business. I want you to shut the I want the business to die and I want you to move your church in here. And so last week they moved in to this brand new church building in Hyannis. Stuff like this doesn't happen in New England where multi-million dollar businesses are just given away, shut down so a church can go in there. And that's their story. Those are powerful stories. Those are stories to me that no one can say, "Oh, we did this." We manufactured this. We made this up. And so I want our life, you know you hear a God story. Like when you hear a story like that, to me, I'm like, oh, God did that. Sometimes it'll make the hairs on my arms stand up or the hairs on my neck uh, because I'm like Teen Wolf and I have that. Like uh, sometimes it'll give me just chills. Uh, there's something deep in my gut that knows, man, God was in the middle of that. And I want our lives to... To be like that. I want our church to be like that. I want your life to be marked by God's story. So I want to share with you, to me, and, and, and to a Christian, the greatest God story that ever was, if we can this morning. So Matthew 27, we're going to start uh, in verse 57. We're going to read the first five verses, then we're going to hit pause, explain that. Then we're going to read the next five or six verses, pause, and then we'll get to the resurrection. Now Jesus has just been killed. Uh, he is in the, about to be buried, and this is what, is, what it says. When, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He was a closet disciple of Jesus, though. He would, he would follow Jesus by night because he was a man of influence, and to follow Jesus openly was very, would have been very costly for him, so he followed Jesus quietly. He went to Pilate, who ordered Jesus' crucifixion, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a linen cloth or a linen shroud and he laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. Now, what's fascinating to me about these five verses is not who's there. I mean, we just see a couple of people here following Jesus. One is a closet disciple named Joseph, and two is the brave, bold women who are the only ones who had the courage to be there along with the disciple John when Jesus was buried. The other disciples had all, at this point, either betrayed him or they had scattered. 
And so the first trait I think that we see in these people's story is the story of giving up. If you're taking notes, we're going to write down three types of ways that we can look at the resurrection. Scott, I think we've got this one. You pull up the slide that says give up. Uh, The disciples gave up. And they scattered. They got out of there. They were resigned to the fact that it was over. The first time a lot of the disciples really encountered Jesus, they're fishing. They've gone back to their old profession. They're like, well, we loved him. We thought he was going to be the savior of Israel. He couldn't deliver. He died. We didn't think he was going to die. And we're done. And so when it comes to the burial of their teacher and master, none of them are even there. They've given up on what could have been. Uh, the ones who had followed the closest and hoped the hardest fell the furthest. And I think it's so easy to do this. We see this. Maybe it's your story. Maybe this right now is your spiritual story, the idea of giving up. Maybe uh, God didn't come through for you. Part of why my dad didn't believe for so many years was when he needed God as a kid, God didn't seem to be there in his life. And he was the victim of abuse and a lot of other awful things. And so for a lot of his life, he had given up on God because when he needed God to be very real and present, God was there but wasn't as present as he thought he should be. He'd given up. God didn't come through. Maybe a loved one died. I see so many people who say, man, I would, I would, I would follow Jesus, but why did he let my grandma die? Why did that happen? Why did that loved one die? Why did that person leave out of my life? Or I think... Uh, Honestly, in the day and age we live in, a lot of us have given up because the church or a church leader or a pastor or a Christian have failed, it, have failed us. I had this happen yesterday at the Easter egg, at the spring egg hunt, excuse me. Somebody came up and immediately lit into um, frustration with church uh, in America and how church has betrayed a sacred trust that a lot of people have given have given it. And rather than stay in the fight, a lot of people, uh, for a lot of good reason, a lot of the time, have given up. They tied God and Jesus to the church and a leader and have been so disappointed, they just said, I'm out. I'm out. Like the disciples, I'm out. I wanted to believe. I did. I really did. I wanted to believe. But they failed me. It didn't go like it was supposed to. And I'm out. And people give up and they end up yelling, hypocrites hypocrites. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And man, that is the truth. Like a hypocrite is someone like if if we define a hypocrite uh, as someone who's pretending to be something, then I hope that most Christians aren't that. But if we define uh, a hypocrite as a person who uh, we think they're supposed to be something and they don't deliver, then most of us are that. We had a guy, honestly, who for a season walked away from our church not too long ago because he felt like I wasn't, I let him down. Now, you know, he said, J.D., I thought you were going to do this, and you didn't. And I told him, I said, man, I dropped the ball. I'm not perfect. Only Jesus is. I'm really sorry. The weight of that was too much. And I get it. We give up. We walk away. We say, no, God, or we just walk away quietly, resign. A lot of people have given up. It's not that they don't care, but it's that they did care. And all of that care ended up feeling like it was in vain and God didn't do as we envisioned that he would do or people didn't do as we thought God would do and we walk away like the disciples. Look at, let's look at the second group in verses uh, 62 through 66. Now the next day, this is a Holy Saturday, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now Jesus is in the grave. He's been put there by Joseph and the women 
And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Let his disciples go, and uh, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you got a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So the next group that we see here is not the give up group. These are, this is the made up group. The people who are saying you're making this stuff up. The Pharisees knew Jesus said he would rise again. And what they wanted to prevent, and I actually like this. I admire this. They wanted to prevent the disciples from sneaking in in the middle of the night and stealing the body and saying, oh, he rose again. Oh, he rose again. And uh, they were trying to prevent religious fraud. from. Uh, they were preventing, like, manufacturing and making a production of the resurrection. They wanted, have you ever seen religious fraud? <laughs> like, I've, I've seen it a lot. Growing up in the Bible Belt South, you see a lot of religious fraud. Fraud. This is when someone, religious fraud occurs when someone says God said something, but God didn't say something. Have you ever seen that? Somebody says, well, God told me, da, 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 but it's really just manipulation. Have you ever seen that? That's making something up. Uh, it's embellishing uh, and saying God, uh, as, like it's embellishing and saying God did this, God said this when he didn't, as if God needs us to be his like human PR department. He doesn't need that at all. And so in the South, we used to have a phrase in ministry. We would say, ministerially speaking. And so you would ask a pastor, well, how many people are coming to your church? And the pastor would say, oh, man, there's like 200. And I'd look at a buddy and know he was lying. And we would be like, yeah, ministerially speaking, there's 200. That actually meant there were like 60. But, uh, man, that's what, that's what people do. We feel like we have to make something up to be God's PR department. Or, and this was the one that we experienced grow, like going to church in the South in the ki as kids. Like we would get in the car. It was Easter, so we'd wear our pink shirts, our clip-on bow ties, our pants. We're mad. We can't breathe. I've got a younger brother who's four years young. We're fighting in the back of the car. It was 20 minutes to our church. We're driving. It's Easter. We're angry. We're hopped up on uh, chocolate, and we're about, my mom's about to kill us. She's a single mom working three jobs. She's dying. You can just tell she just wants to reach into the back of the car and, like, do this number, but it was in the 80s, and the cars were too big. And so eventually, we get to the church parking lot, and mom says, all right, you stop it right now. You smile, and you act like you love one another. <laughs> You know, it's like Jesus has risen from the dead. We are going to act like that matters in our household. And, uh, and it's the same thing. It's religious fraud. It really is. It's us feeling like we had to give everybody else this impression that because we said we believed in God and followed Jesus, we had to have everything together. And uh, I resented that bow tie and the life it made me leave. Boy, as soon as we got out of church, I'd rip that thing off and unbutton that top button even at 9 and 10 years old, I knew that that was not what we really were and who we really were. The problem with a made-up sort of theology is here's what ends up happening. To have stolen the dead body, the disciples would have had to have done two things. One, they would have had to have said, Jesus is risen from the dead. The problem was to do that, they'd have to be carrying a dead body at all times. They have to be carrying around a corpse. And the thing about corpses is they smell 
and they're heavy and burdensome and impossible to hide forever. And when we go to make up our faith and make up a religion that says, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. We've got it all together. We're so good. In reality, we're proclaiming one thing while carrying a corpse that everyone else can see is heavy and burdensome. The Pharisees worried about this because this was their gig. Making up religion was their gig. The, uh, if, a Pharisee, if the Pharisees had a motto, if they had a sort of tagline on social media, it would be goodness or cleanliness is equal to godliness. And that is not biblical. That's one of those top ten sort of verses that aren't in the Bible. But that was their motto. Act clean. Clean, clean, your, clean everything up outside. And that means you're godly. Act like you're so good. And because you're morally... Uh, arrogant, that means you're better than everyone. And that just wasn't true. Man made up, man made religion, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, is rubbish. It's like dirty, disgusting trash that ends up in the sewage treatment plant. That's what our good efforts, our made up religion is before God. It's like carrying a dead body. And so before we go to the, the story of the resurrection, just let me ask you. Are there any places in your life where you're carrying a, a made-up, man-made religion? Maybe you've given up. Maybe you're making stuff up. Let's look at the third one. In Matthew 28, we're going to go to the story of the resurrection. I'm going to read 10 verses. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who is crucified. Verse 6, He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus, risen from the dead bodily, met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they'll see me. The third option, you can have uh, a given up view of faith. Um, we can embrace a, a, a made up view of faith. But the third one is a woke up view of faith. Now, I don't mean that Jesus woke up like in the sense that he was sleeping professional executioners verified that he was dead before he was placed in the tomb. He didn't just pass out and then come back to consciousness two days later. Um, he rose from the dead. And I don't mean woke like, I love the, I love the, I wish I were cool enough to use woke like in the current cultural context. It's like, man, we don't have a, you know, how can Wegmans not have a disabled pets handicap zone like for parking? They need to get woke. Like, it's not that sort of social consciousness kind of woke that we're talking about when we say that Jesus was woke up and awakened something in us we mean Jesus rose from the dead Jesus rose from the dead and uh and that has changed everything and some people who I love would say well that's inexplicable that's unbelievable and that's incredible I would say that's awesome and I want to tell you in life just in general if something cannot be explained if it's impossible to believe and um, if it ends up not seeming credible but produces awe and wonder, those are usually the things in our lives that look like God. If we can explain it, produce it, 
uh, and it produces no all, then we did it ourselves. If we look and we're like, could never done that. Those are the things that look and, and seem like God's in the middle of them. The resurrection is a story that only God could have done because it's too incredible otherwise to even be believed. And so Jesus' resurrection offers a few things. Uh, Jesus' resurrection offers and provide hope, provides hope for people who feel like hope is gone. It provides victory. Jesus' resurrection provides new life. It, it means that uh, just as uh, God raised his son from the dead and he was stronger than death and sin, we who are the followers of Jesus have been raised to new life in Jesus and are born again and made new in God. It's not that God took bad people and makes them good. It's that God takes spiritually dead people and makes us alive. Uh, and so life now can be abundant for the Christian life. There's a growth to spiritual life. I love thinking about some of you and where you were a year ago in your faith journey and where you are today. It's unbelievable to watch what God is doing in your life, not in this crazy, charismatic, weird, uh, let's freak everybody out kind of way, but a steady, long obedience and a long walk of faith in the same direction as you follow God. There's growing spiritual life. There's profound meaning to life because of the empty tomb. We'll talk about that next week in the Not Your Average series. Uh, there's daily new mercies. There's energy. God gives energy as we follow him. There's resources that only he provides. And there's confidence that Jesus is in control of the universe and working things out. And so Jesus rose so that those who give up and those who, uh, and those who have been burned by religion that's made up can be woke up to all God wants us to be and do and experience. Jesus died and rose from the dead so that those who've given up can, against all hope and common sense, lean back in and say, I want to try it again. And Jesus died and rose again so that those who've said, you know what, I think all this crap is made up. What a bunch of nonsense. And we examine the historical Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And people will say, people will ask me, well, what do you think about Genesis? And what do you think about the end times? And what do you think about this and that? And I say, let's talk about the resurrection. Did the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth happen or not? And then all the other stuff is, is resolved or at least has to be framed from within that central theological truth, the resurrection. Jesus rose so that those who've given up and those who've made stuff up can get woke up to all God wants us to be, do, and experience, nothing less. But let me tell you real quickly, the angel gives these women a message, and then Jesus gives them the exact same message. It's the exact same message. Uh, they say, the angel says, come and see where he was, and Jesus says, greetings. The first thing that both of them, uh, Jesus and the angel say regarding the resurrection is, come look at it. Come look. See where he was. Come look. If you're a skeptic or a doubter, Come and look at the evidence. That's the first thing that God would command us to do. The second thing the angel and Jesus say is, don't be afraid. Whenever someone encounters God legitimately, they're always scared out of their brains. Freaked out. It's the biblical pattern every time. If you meet somebody who says they were touched by an angel or they encountered an angel and they weren't like, they didn't fall over like dead people scared out of their brains, I promise you, they just ate some bad Mexican food. Like, it didn't, like, an encounter with a living God is terrifying. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. God-sized activity, the dead becoming alive, is always scary. We have to acknowledge it. 
And the third thing that the angel and Jesus says, and I love this one, and I think this is the most important thing here. It says, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. Now, Jesus was buried in Jerusalem, which is uh, today in modern Israel in the southern part of what was that nation. Uh, but Jesus, and, and that's in the region of Judea. But Jesus, if you looked at a map 2,000 years ago, here's Judea. Here's Samaria, where the Samaritans were, and everybody hated the Samaritans. And so if you grew up hearing the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, that was a hated people group. And then the Galilee is up here. It's where Jesus did most of his ministry, right? And so the angel and Jesus say, go tell my disciples to go from Judea through Samaria up to the Galilee. It's 50 miles. It's quite a hike. And the point of that, I think, is, um, is really powerful for us, maybe not as much for them, not sure why Jesus told them to do that, but for us, I want to tell you that God will never get you from there, God will never get you to there, wherever there is that he wants to take you without you and I making a move, we'll never get to there while we just sit here, I don't know where God wants you to go in your life as you follow Jesus. But I know you will not get there just by sitting exactly where you are. It requires a move. It requires unconditional surrender. Our tendency is always to want to settle and put down roots and grow complacent. But God uh, would say, all right, if here is a place where you're unchanged and immobile, and there is a place where you're living an, an above average, only explained by God type of life, you will only get there by leaving here. And we see this over and over in the Bible in the story of Abraham and Moses and the Exodus and Ruth and all types of other people who followed God. To experience resurrection power and a God story, you've got to be willing to move. And so I, wanna, I just want to pray in a second that we're going to receive communion. I'll explain how we do that here as a church. And for those who want to take it, I want to invite you to. Um, I pray your, your life is marked by stuff that only God can take credit for. What I see in Charlestown, honestly, is a lot of people living amazing lives. But I see this over and over this, when I talk with friends who don't follow Jesus, this existential curiosity that wonders if there's more. And we have the best of so many things, and yet we wonder, is there, is there more to this whole thing? I pray your life is marked by stuff only God can take credit for. I pray that you have faith and courage and humility to be willing to move to get it, to adjust your life to get God's better and God's stories. I pray that if you've given up or been making up your faith story, I pray that you get woke up to God's resurrection power and you don't feel the need to just walk away and fake it anymore. And then I pray that um, you'd have the humility and the courage to turn and trust Jesus.